0: You are listening to Behind the Pulpit Podcast, episode seven, Success in Ministry. Welcome to Behind the Pulpit Podcast. This is Tim Lucas.
1: Hey, this is Nigel. And this is
0: Ryan. We're just three regular guys who are passionate about growing young ministers. If you're a young minister, or if you're just thinking about becoming a minister, this show is designed for you. On today's show, we're going to be talking about success in ministry. What does a successful ministry look like? How do you define success in ministry? What type of success should you be aiming for in your ministry? Uh, But before we get into that, guys, we've reached a momentous occasion for this podcast. Really? Um, Every episode we've been talking about asking people to write in and and post on our Facebook wall and such. And we did have one post uh, uh, earlier. Amede, my wife, posted, very sweet. She said, love the first two episodes, keep them coming, smiley face. You know, but she listens to me every day, so she's used to listening to me, and, and so we very much appreciate that. It was very encouraging. But of course, because she's my wife, we're, we're looking for outside of the reach we already have. She already listens to me preach, So if she's the only one that listens to the podcast, then I don't know that I'm doing much good. But we got someone who is not related to any one of us three who obviously is actually listening to the podcast, which still amazes me that anybody not related to us listens to us. But not only did he listen, he commented on our on our Facebook wall. Philip Anthony Robb said this. He said, thank you guys for doing this. I've truly been blessed and changed by each episode. Keep it up. Philip, when I read your comment, it literally made my week. I got so encouraged because we are. We're doing this for For you, you're the exact person we're doing this for uh, somebody that's young. I don't know you, Philip, but you made our week um now, I did notice that Philip is from Texas Nigel,
1: do you know philip It's funny that you asked him because uh um I was at the inaugural North Texas district camp meeting this uh last week, and uh I was talking to someone and there was a young man that was standing waiting for me to get done talking so that he can he can talk to me and he he did get my attention because he waited probably for a couple of minutes to talk to me and when I got done talking he reached out his hands and said are you Nigel Ali? I said yes sir and uh, he was like you're the guy I wanted to meet and uh, he began to uh, thank me for the podcast and his name was Philip and uh, is this i believe it's the same same guy that you're talking about and uh, Philip began to tell me that he was so thankful for this podcast and how it has encouraged him how it has helped him and he is the faithful listener to this podcast and and even mentioned he wished that we had more than one coming every every week um and uh, it was really encouraging to hear that and i told him exactly what you said you know it's worth doing what we are doing when we hear comments like that um, all the hard work is is feels like it's paid off because if one young person can be encouraged to do something for the kingdom of God, this is worthwhile doing what we're doing.
0: Yeah, I did find it interesting, Nigel. You said Philip is the faithful listener. <laughs> yes, we only have one. <laughs> hey,
2: one is better than none.
0: Uh, that's true. <laughs> that that is true. Um. Now, Nigel, you just mentioned that you met him at the North Texas inaugural camp meeting. That's a big deal. Um, Now, I'm in the Southern California district, which is a relatively new district. So I understand the the kind of dynamics of that. But that's a big deal. And you know what? I've actually been seeing a lot of stuff on Facebook about the North Texas camp meeting. It looks like it was incredible, but I haven't got to talk to anybody that was actually there. I know a few people there, and my brother actually is in the new North Texas district um, but I haven't talked to him yet. Nigel, can you tell us a little bit about some of the things that happened there?
1: Oh, definitely, Tim. It was one of the most uh, amazing conferences or camp meetings I've been to. Uh, wow. Incredible move of God. The power of God was just definitely very much visible. The demonstration power of God was in that house. Actually, uh, 186 People received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And we saw in the three nights, 79 reported healings that took place. That's incredible. Yes, that place was jammed. This is, uh, you have to realize, this is the first camp ever. And uh, we had that place over 2200 people packed in that uh, uh, Plano Center and uh, it was announced that we won't be able to have uh, another camp meeting there because there was yeah it was jam packed but incredible, wow. life-changing camp meeting, and I am excited for what God is going to do in this district and what He's already started to do, and uh, revival is now, revival is here, and uh, I am just uh, excited to be uh, a small part of uh, what God is doing uh, yeah. in this end-time revival.
0: Yeah, and it sounds like I've heard some of the things that were mentioned um in the preaching and such that God's really working revival among some of our political leaders that yes. a lot of... In particular, I think the GOP party was mentioned, but many of the leaders of the party... Yes. And within the GOP party specifically, that there's great revival. Many of yes. them are coming to the Lord Yes, um, in our churches. We've had some GOP mayors. One of them, I believe it was at Brother Cunningham's church. Yes, sir. And he's told this story before, but it's so amazing... Um, it was back when when the the issue really came up about um, same sex marriage. I know it's still a big issue, but there was a few mayors that were being sued mm-hmm. by the federal government right. because they said n- no. Right. And he He's this this mayor, I assume it was must be in the city, Brother Cunningham. Right. He is pastors in, but he you know they the Brother Cunningham's church had a uh, special prayer meeting mm-hmm. all uh, uh, for him right and for his situation and so they had him come and they prayed for him and brother cunningham had him come to the the uh, platform and he just said i i don't know what i'm feeling this is incredible i've never felt this before i don't know what to do brother cunningham walked up to him and said just throw your hands in the air and praise god and like that he he got filled with the holy ghost right there on the platform sir
1: in front of uh, thousands of people you know in in front of television uh, companies and all of that Starts, of course, the media hates it. Yeah. <laughs>
0: that, that's not what the media wants. That's a, no. And, and, and so, of course, we're not you know, politically picking a party by any means. But, and I believe it, it's both sides of the aisle that God wants to have revival. We hear all the bad stuff mm-hmm. about politics. And we hear yeah. about the, the devil side of working in politics and stuff. But we don't hear that very often about God working. But that is the key. Yes, you know, sir. We, we sometimes like to argue... Um, even within families, about politicians and who we should vote for. And especially in this season, it can kind of become a big deal of you know, people arguing back and forth and was it Christian to vote for this person or not. But what it comes down to is nobody's name that has been mentioned from Donald Trump, Hillary Clinton, Bernie Sanders, Ted Cruz, um, anybody else that's been mentioned, none of them are going to save our nation. The only one who's going to save our nation is Jesus Christ. And if we can get him in the eyes of the people, we're going to have revival. And that, that's the answer. It's prayer. The answer is not a politician. Before I keep rambling, because that's what I do when I'm tired and I'm kind of tired, um, let's get to our main topic of success in ministry. So really what we're, our point is that subconsciously, so often we define success in ministry by numbers. You know, I'm a youth pastor And so the success of my ministry is how many people do I have coming to youth service? If you're a pastor, how many people do you have coming to your church? Or maybe some people might define success as how much money did I give in an offering? You know, as a youth pastor, how much money did I raise for sheaves for Christ? And our point, I guess, that we're trying to make in this upcoming podcast is that's not the definition of success in ministry. I think most people would agree with that at least in our ranks yeah. of our organization. Mm-hmm. So then if that's not the definition of success, what is the definition of success?
2: I was, I've been thinking about this and looking up some scripture, thinking about it, kind of praying about it. And a couple things came to mind. One was, you know, what was Jesus's point as far as what he wanted to do? And I was thinking about when he was talking to Peter, you know, Peter, do you love me? And Peter was, of course I do. Okay, well, if you do, then feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. As a minister, is that what you're doing? Are you feeding yeah. the sheep? Are are you helping to take care of the flock, to meet the needs of the people? And when I was researching it also, I came across Second uh, Timothy 4, or 5, and I just really liked the way Paul... Uh, summarize this by saying, but watch thou in all things. Endure afflictions. So be vigilant. Be looking over these things. Endure afflictions. Things are going to happen to you. Do the work of an evangelist. In other words, spread the good news. Teach about Jesus. And it says, make full proof of thy ministry. Do what God has laid on your heart. In other words, you know, are you... Are you bringing Jesus to people? All right, we're called to ministry. We're called to preach, and are we doing that? Because there's a lot of preachers out there that are preaching some stuff, but it definitely ain't Jesus. And they got numbers, and they are they have they're packing stadiums. They are you know swimming in the money, but they are not bringing Jesus. Unfortunately. Right.
1: Um uh, I I'm, I'm not trying to cut you off Ryan. No, here, you're fine. But uh this is this is awesome with uh, Brother Griffin, you know. Brother Griffin is a great scholar, a uh, great teacher, and uh, he was one of our instructors at ABI. I asked him one time to write something in my Bible, if he could just autograph my Bible. And uh, he wrote, "If you ever if you ever achieve your goal, you aimed too low. And uh, many times people think success is a destination. Uh, actually, success is a journey. If you ever think that you arrived at a certain point, you know, I've, uh, I've heard saying, like, if you, if, you've, if you preach the general conference, you're successful. If you build a church of a thousand or two thousand, you are successful, and that is a that is a benchmark that people think, okay, I've re- achieved this goal, but I am uh, then I'm successful. But that's not really the the case. Uh, the The problem with viewing success as an end is that we block out our ultimate destination which is heaven because you will be successful when you hear the Lord say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Exactly. Doesn't matter what we do on this earth. uh, That's not counted as success or failure. Um, We do our part and we do what God wants us to do. And uh, you will be successful when we get to heaven, that that's what I think personally.
0: Yeah, you know, it's interesting you mentioned that. That kind of takes me on a different path than I was thinking in my mind for this episode. But Jesus says, "Well done, thou good and faithful servant. servant." Of course, most of us preachers have probably preached a message before, or at least heard it preached. He didn't say, "Well done, thou good and faithful preacher." Well done, thou good and faithful, you know, singer. Well done, well done, thou good and faithful teacher. Well done, thou good and faithful even bible study teacher or soul winner he said well done thou good and faithful servant so that's okay so at the end right jesus is looking at people he's dividing them into two groups you could even say the successful group and the unsuccessful group right since we de- when since we're talking about success so those who are successful how did jesus define their success and that's a good measure since we're trying to define success to use jesus's definition he said, it's because you're a well or well done, thou good and faithful servant. So is it not really the definition of our success is how much we serve? And I was thinking about this. So we often think that when Jesus says serve, we're talking about serving God. Is it not possible that what he's really saying is serving others? Now, really the way we serve God is serving others anyways, but how much we serve God or how much we serve others is that not Could that not be the definition of success? You look at Jesus, that's what he did. He served others. Now, the greatest thing we can do to serve others is to share the gospel with them. Right. If we have a, the end, the eternity in sight, and we give someone a hamburger, yeah. or wash their clothes, or you know, buy them a house, right. or mow their lawn, or go down the list of things we can do to quote-unquote serve people, but never tell them about the, the gospel, and they go to hell— We have not served them.
1: Yeah. Uh, According to success, the way we measure success, eh, in that regards, would we say Jesus was successful? If you look at the life of Jesus, you know, he began his ministry. Uh, Thousands of people followed him. You know, 5,000. He fed the 5,000, and and they followed him. They made disciples, and, and as soon as he... Uh, preached a little bit hard. People left him. The Bible says they left him. And his crowd got smaller and smaller. You know, in the end, he had 12 disciples. One betrayed him. If you want to measure success, uh, uh, to the modern day, mindset of success he would have been a failure you know he his disciples uh all scattered ran away from him uh you know there were three left and then at the cross there was only one left uh no one else you know what i mean and uh and and the way if we look at success the way we look at success today we would say man this guy is a total failure in the end he was crucified and And what they were looking for, they didn't get, you know? Right, right. Uh, They were looking for a physical, uh, king taking over the political power, but he did not come to do that. In their mindset, he was a failure. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the, you know, that's the amazing
2: thing about God is all throughout the Bible. I mean, especially in the Old Testament, numbers meant nothing. I mean, Gideon had too many men in his army. Right. And God was weeding it down to where it was, you know, unsurmountable odds. It was it was never about numbers, but about who was leading the charge for God. The faithful. You know, we can do anything through Christ, but we have to be willing and able. Well, we don't have to be able, we just have to be willing and available. And that's all that matters. And that's why He weeded out all the, you know, those who were just there for, you know, I'm sure people thought he was, had some cool things to say and maybe they wanted to see healings and and be healed. But when it came down to what mattered, there was only 12. But those 12 with the power and the backing of the Holy Spirit of Holy Ghost of his, with his power changed the world.
0: Yeah, but it's funny, even them, so those 12, right? I mean, they not, and so now they really have the answer. They have a story, uh, and everybody in the town knows it, that's, that their leader raised from the dead. They go around, and they get 500 people mm-hmm. who, between the 12 and Jesus, were there when Jesus ascended. So they had a church of 500 that they had amassed over 40 days. They went from one at the cross to 12 in the room when Jesus appeared to them, to 500 between them and Jesus working together because Jesus appeared to many of them also. They had a church of 500. Jesus ascends, gives them strict instructions, go to Jerusalem and pray. By 10 days later, they were down to 120. Mm. But then they got back up to 3,000 in that one day. You know, so it's like... I guess that would numerically be successful but it's it's you know like at what point if you measure it at the 1 or you measure it at the 120 you know you look at we had 500 people in our church 40 days ago now we have 120 now if you had 50 and you go to 120 120 is great but if you had 500 go down to 120 you have a lot of empty chairs you know so I think because it is true that Church is supposed to grow, yeah, so for us to say that numbers have nothing to do with success, I don't know
2: well, I think it's I think it's how much basically numbers meaning, okay, if the church has twenty and we add one, is that not as successful if we add t- i mean it's still one soul, yeah, right it would be nice to be adding ten twenty thirty, but. You can't, you, you can't expect, unfortunately, a, a church of 20 people to double. In reality, a church that's set up to handle 20 people would not be able to handle 40, 20 new converts right away, at least successfully. Okay, so
0: say, so say we expect a church of 100 to grow by five in a year. I don't know what they would expect, but if you expect that, so then 20, you'd expect them to grow by one or two in a year. So if, so maybe a new family a year. So then would we say a church that has no new people for a year, is that an unsuccessful church? I'm asking, literally. Well, have you lost any? I think that's also so important. So that is important too. But I, I think really, as I think about it now, our mission is to make disciples. So if you come into a church as a pastor, and there's very few pastor or disciples there, they are attender, attendees, not disciples. If you take attendees and make disciples, uh, you can you you can say you're successful.
2: Well, I think the goal also you know with especially if you're making disciples, the goal is to teach them so that they will then have disciples and multiply.
1: I think you are successful when you have been able to make disciples and those disciples. Uh, bring more disciples you know they they save more people that's what is a sign of maturity when you have and you don't have to be a pastor it doesn't even have to be a church you know what i mean we are all called to make disciples so an individual uh, even if he does not hold a license he is successful if he is able to win a soul and disciple that soul and that disciple go out into the world and win somebody else i would i would consider that a successful individual the bible says that your fruit may remain you know if you bring if you develop a fruit if you if you win somebody and that individual stays and get gets becomes a soul winner you are a smashing success
0: so then are we saying success actually is defined by numbers, just we're looking at the wrong numbers? So you shouldn't look at the number of attendees. We should look at the number of disciples. Well, remember,
2: we said that it doesn't matter how many, how big our church is, how successful we think our ministry is. If we lose our family, yeah, then we failed as a minister. That's true. Mm-hmm. And obviously numbers-wise, that's not... That many, you know, the the what is that, you know? But if you're pastoring a church of 100, 200, 400, 500, 30, 60, 70, but yet your kids and your wife, if they are suffering, then you haven't had a successful ministry because your That's ministry true. starts with your family. I, uh, you know, to the hard thing about defining what is successful is you can't put a definitive. Definition or term around it, I mean,
0: so, we set ourselves up for failure that 's what you 're saying yeah. <laughs> by taking on this topic
2: well, no, I think it 's great because the reality is is that this is something that we think about and we talk about
1: well uh, yeah, because uh, recently uh, actually, because of the times this year, you know Brother Wayne Huntley got up and preached a message, and it was a very timely message. And he uh, he focused on the young preachers, and uh, and it is true he be- he began to say that you know he's been going around the organization and finding out that a lot of these the young preachers and ministers are angry, they are frustrated, and the reason why they are frustrated is because they are measuring success by what they see in a Anthony Mangan, in in a uh, Nathaniel Haney, or Joel Urshan, or or whoever that is out there that has has been there for so many years and young ministers are coming up and seeing their success and they're seeing the revival that they're having and the things that they're doing and they want that now it's just like our generation looking at our parents and they have big house they have a big car you know they have they have uh, money and 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 kids think they their parents got all of that overnight but they did not come overnight that kind of success if you if you look at that as a success did not come overnight right. and and a lot of young young aspiring ministers they are they 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 get so depressed and and disappointed because they feel like they cannot measure up to that kind of success but they forget those are are things that come through years of of laboring right and mm-hmm. and uh if you start measuring some kind of success by comparing yourself to someone else, uh, the Bible says that that is not wise
0: that's true that 's true Anytime you 're comparing yourself you 're either going to become proud or discouraged yes sir it 's funny, you know I was thinking. So, obviously, everything we do, we want to take back to the Bible. Right. um, Not necessarily in our podcast, just as ministers and Christians. So, Ryan, when you mentioned about saving your family, of course, naturally, I thought of Noah. We have to ask ourselves, was he a success or not? He preached for, some would say, 120 years, more likely probably 70 to 80 years, and had his family. If I went, started a church, preached for 70 to 80 years— and walked out of there with me, my wife, three sons, their wives. Would I feel successful? Yeah. And the answer is I would not. There's no way I would. I would feel like a failure. If I'm being honest. Because, and I think that's because we, as much as we try to avoid it, I think because the day and age we live in, we can't completely rid ourselves of that mindset. That that's success. Yeah, but I mean, you also
2: have to remember that what what was it about Noah that made him successful? I mean, yes, it was his kids, but it was the lineage that proceeded from his kids. And if you're able to save at least just your three sons and their wives, who knows what impact they're going to make on the world. Vice versa, the kind of the opposite of that is, you know, I think of uh, Lot. When Abraham was trying to, Talk God, down. I think in the back of Abraham's mind he's thinking, you know what? If I can just get him to at least have the amount that's in Lot's family, between him and his kids and his wife, they have to be serving God. They have to be, you know, doing what's right. And if I can just get it down to that number, I think the city, I think the cities will be okay. And unfortunately, the rea- the reality is is Lot was not able to save his family, and because of that. The entire city was lost. Whereas, if That's he would true. have been able to save his family, I mean, who knows what would have happened? But because he couldn't, he couldn't keep his family safe.
0: This really goes back. I feel like it's very clear, and we've heard the messages preached. I've preached them. You guys have probably preached them. It started when he pitched his tent toward Sodom. He didn't just pitch his tent near Sodom; he toward it. So every morning when the tent flap opened. The first thing they saw was Sodom. The last thing they saw before they went to bed every night was the lights of Sodom and probably heard the music of Sodom and maybe some of the, the jubilant dancing of Sodom. And the next thing you know, he's in Sodom. The next thing you know, he's sitting in the gates in the leadership of Sodom. Yeah. You know, and then obviously Sodom was in his daughters. They may have got out, but Sodom was still in them by their actions. And I think it's so important how we set our homes. You can't preach to your kids that you're not living. And when you set... For me, the most clear-cut example of setting setting Sodom before your family is putting Hollywood in front of your family. And I know that's a controversial statement for some people. And I'm not saying every single thing that Hollywood puts out is evil. Um, I know the UPC has changed their wording of their stance on media. But if you really, truly follow what the the verbiage of the manual now says, it's actually stricter. If you actually live by and use your media choice according to what the manual now says, you will be much stricter than you would have been before. Um, But if you put the things that happen in Sodom in front of your kids, Sodom is going to get in them. It's that plain and simple. Yes. You just have to be careful because it's not enough to say I'm not having a TV in my home. It used to be that would work. If you didn't have a TV in your home, you didn't have Hollywood in your home. But it doesn't work that way anymore. Because if you have a phone, you have Hollywood potentially in your home. If you have a laptop, you potentially have Hollywood in your home. An iPad. Through Netflix, YouTube, you can watch all of Hollywood for free on YouTube. So we have got to get it in our hearts and then teach our kids to make wise decisions about media because you know in in our generation is so questioning it's not enough you know before parents could tell their kids we don't watch tv plain and simple done that's just how we are but now you can't really kids it doesn't work that way unfortunately our society has taught them to question everything and so you have to teach them the why
2: yeah definitely. and
0: how to make that decision when this pops in front of your eyes you turn it off And, of course, you have to be so consistent as a parent that if we're watching something and by accident we didn't know what was in it and these words are said, it's turned off. We don't take a chance of, well, we think it won't happen again. Or if this type of activity is portrayed on the screen, we turn it
1: off. Yeah, no, I was thinking of Paul as well in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 here. And uh, this is what he said. And he said, and I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. And he said, "I For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. You know, you have to realize Paul was the modern-day Pharisee of his time, and he was a wise man. But for him to say these words, uh, you know, he did not measure his success with who he was or where he was coming from or the education he had. And he goes on to say, and I was with you in weakness and in fear and in tra- and with much trembling. Verse 4, he says, and my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Verse 5, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of man, but in the power of God. You know, I think that defines uh, a successful man. When you can take the, take the uh, glory away from your own self and put it, to where the f- real focus is and that is to the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul had a true understanding of a successful man because he knew he was nothing. I am nothing, but I must decrease and he must increase. And if if you want to be in any sort of uh, in any way successful, you've got to die to your own self. And a man that is dead to his own self is a successful man because you will do the will of God no matter what.
0: You know, that's the second time you've kind of referenced that. You referenced something like that earlier, and I was just thinking back to it. Really, success is hearing what God says and doing it. You know, Jeremiah, we would not say he was successful. He was so unsuccessful. He was surprised because God called him. And that's the thing we have to be, we have to really understand what God called us to because he thought God had called him. To change the minds of the people. And so later on, he was actually kind of upset at God. He said, God, you tricked me. Yeah. You you tricked me. He said, this isn't fair. The way my ministry is going, you didn't tell me it was going to be like this. Yeah. And was he successful or not? Because he didn't have too many converts. Mm -mm. But I would postulate that he was successful. Why? Because he said what God told him to say. And as ministers, that's really are key to success. Yes. Say what God says. Some of us, God is going to choose to, you know, make us vessels of honor that God, people will love us, that we will say things that make them happy. Now, if that's all we say, we're probably a false prophet. That's one thing you notice in the old Testament. Everybody who said only positive prophecies were false prophets. It's interesting when, um, there's certain people that, you know, come around and prophesy and all they ever prophesy is that, uh, Oh, you're going to get blessed with lots of money. Your job's going to be great. You're going to get healed. It's like, have you ever prophesied anything negative? Um, there, are Actually, one guy, pretty cool, J.J. J. Bourne. If you guys look him up, oh my word, this guy's amazing. He's prophesied for at least five people that they were going to die by a certain day, and they died. Um, but so if you say what God says, you're successful. Because Jesus said, I will build my church. And so it's not my job to build a church. Yes. It's my job to get orders from my commander. And execute them.
2: You know, and the, the other thing that the Bible doesn't let us get away with is it It makes us... It, we have to keep our attitudes and our and why we're doing it in check. Because I can't help but think about, in the same book, 1 Corinthians. I can't help but think about chapter 13. And then thinking about what's going to happen if we're at the gate. And we declare these things that we did for Jesus. We declare these things we did for Him. And he says, you know, depart from me. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, all, we speak like we have all these things, but if but if we're lacking charity, we've literally done it for no reason. We've done it for nothing. We've been as, sing, you know, tinkling uh, cymbal or sounding brass. So we, have to love, we have to love God, love our family, and love our ministry. If we don't love... There's one thing I don't want to become. I don't want to become some cantankerous... Min, you know, someone in ministry who people can't even talk to because I just have this scowl on my face and I'm just, you know, just like the most unhappy person. You know what I mean? I mean, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna sit here and say that 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 person's not gonna make the heaven. I'm not gonna say that at all. But I'm gonna say that we need to be careful about our attitudes and how we we look at this and how we treat people. I mean, it's more than just doing that is obviously very important, but we have to be careful about about how we
0: we do those things. It's kind of funny because honestly, lately the Lord's been dealing with me that I've kind of become not quite a jerk, but like I tend to be more ready to be not understanding to someone. Like if someone bumps into me, my first response is to be like, what's wrong with you instead of I'm sorry. And I used to not be like that. I used to be the opposite. And, or, you know, if somebody, uh, I don't know, if something possibly could have been them being rude, that's my first response. And I don't like that. And so God's been talking to me a little bit about that. And I've really, in the last couple days, I've, it's been amazing that now I'm aware of it, how different it's been. It's just amazing. Like going to the grocery store and now because it's changed, I realize how much I was the other way. And I'm like, oh my word, what, what happened to me? Um, but I'm glad God's still working on me. I know we're not perfect, but I'm just so glad he, He's still working on me. There's hope for me.
2: Amen. We haven't given up on you, Tim.
1: Yes. <laughs> and all the past
2: Somebody abi, all me. the past abi uh, guys and ladies can uh, try to keep their comments to a minimum about how you feel about Tim.
0: <laughs> so that leads us in. Did you guys have anything else to say about this topic, or is it a good time to wrap up?
2: I, I just think that we're gonna we will probably gonna be shocked. You know, it's like last week talking with uh, Brother Lucas and hearing about the people who you wouldn't expect to be successful in the elms of the world, but yet their faithful dedication to their local ministry has produced, you, you can't even, there's no value and I think we're going to be surprised when we see how many crowns, you know, the, the type of crowns that people are going to have and you're going to be like I never saw you preach a general conference, you know, <clears throat> and, but they're going to be in the eyes of the kingdom, in the eyes of God. They're who knows how much more successful than,
1: than you or I, you know, whatever be. But, but I think this is a good thing to talk about for young aspiring men and women that are, that want to do something for the kingdom of God, because this is the biggest downfall when they come into ministry when they step into a place where they feel like, oh, God has called me to pastor a church, and they go there and they don't see anything for two years or three years, and then they give up, you know what I mean? And then they say, oh, I don't know, I don't think God has called me. You know, I know of, uh, you know, I believe it was Brother Carver. He went uh, He went straight from Bible college into the interior of Papua New Guinea, you know, he was one of the pioneer missionaries in the in Papua New Guinea. For I believe three years, they never saw anyone convert, uh, converted, and and he kept preaching the gospel. His third year, they were giving Bible study to a girl, and she was the first one ever in three years wow. say, "I want to be baptized in Jesus' name." Wow. And, and and she was baptized, and God filled her with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And that girl went into the villagers and began to testify. And amazingly, they walked like four or five days with like 10 or 15 people and began to start baptizing them in Jesus' name, you know. And so... Uh, and and today there is like 60,000 constituency wow. in 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 Papua New Guinea but you would think that oh he he's not successful but you got to when you know that God has called you to a place you just be obedient to what God has said it might be 2 years 3 years before you begin to see fruit or you may never see anything you know there there is pastors that have uh, you know Paul said, uh, "You know some plant, some water, but God gives the increase. God might take you in a place to just plant you know just just plant another man will come and he'll start watering and 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 crazy that a third person comes and God starts giving the increase, people think, Oh, this guy's successful, and the rest of them are not if If it wasn't for the first man." planting, and the second guy who's watering, this man would not have seen the increase. You know, the increase is God's increase, not our increase.
0: Yeah, that reminds me of a story my dad references this guy. He calls him the greatest man I never met. And it was a story we heard when we were on deputation. We went to this church, thriving church, wonderful worship, um, vibrant, packed. I mean, it was like you could hardly find a seat. And... Uh, my dad was talking to the guy and said, man, you've done a great job here. And the man said, oh, I didn't do anything. Let me tell you about where why this church is here. And um, he started telling his story, and it's just amazing. What happened was this, there was a church, it was actually there in Texas, I don't remember the city, that the pastor had cheated on his wife with a secretary and left. And they kept trying to find another pastor to come in, And ended up, by the time they found this man, he was actually a retired minister. His wife had passed away. And by the time he got there, nobody was left. Everybody had had gone from the church. And so he went and it was half, they had a a half built church. They were in the middle middle of a building program and it was half finished. All the lumber just sitting there, you know. And so he went there and started by hand, putting a roof on the church, and cleaning up, and, and doing work, and was there for, I believe, two or three years. Every service would open the doors, turn the lights on, have be the only one that showed up, pray, turn the lights off, close the doors, go home, come back the next an hour before church was supposed to start, turn the lights on, pray, pray about an hour past church was supposed to end, lock the doors, go home, work on the church, I don't remember for sure, but I want to say it was like seven years, not a single. It wasn't that long. It was a couple years. Nobody darkened the door of that church but him. You know, because everybody in this city, it was a smaller city. They all knew exactly what had happened with that pastor. And so finally, the the town drunk said, you know what? I see that preacher going in there. Nobody else ever goes in there. No other cars park in the parking lot. I got to see what he's doing in there. He walks in and the pastor goes back to him. Greets him at the door warmly, brings him up to the front row, sets him on the front row center aisle. You know, gets up, leads a few worship songs, preaches, and the guy gets touched. And he tells a couple friends, and ended up they started having about four people coming pretty regular. And then he said, "You know what? I've been here for years. I'm getting older. I haven't seen my kids in this whole time I've been here. Was there seven years? At the point I I remember now, he said seven years. He was there." At the end of that seven years, he said, I've been here seven years, haven't taken a vacation. I need to take a vacation. He had these two lady evangelists come to take care of services for about a month where he was gone. While he was gone, he had a heart attack and died. So those four adults, I think there might have been a couple kids, I don't know, but four adults asked the two lady uh, evangelists to stay and be their pastor. And so one of them or whatever was the pastor stayed, labored faithfully for several years Um, you know, didn't really see much growth. I think by the time they left, there was 12 there and this brother came in and within a couple years it had grown up to over a hundred and he, he said, brother Lucas, this, this, none of this is me. It's all that first man that came in. And by the time he died, probably felt very unsuccessful. And yet every single person that's in this church building is here because of that man. Yeah. Yeah. And my dad frequently said, you know, I think we're going to be very surprised, as you said, Nigel, when we get to heaven and see the rewards that are handed out. You know, some little old lady that nobody knows about, but prayed for hours and hours right. and, and fought incredibly in spiritual warfare, you know, and that maybe even her pastor saw all the success because of her prayers. And he didn't even have a prayer life, right. but her <laughs> prayer life was so strong that it brought success to the
2: church. I was just gonna. uh, Do you guys? Are you guys familiar with Mark Brown?
1: Yeah, I was thinking of him as well uh, while I was talking about it.
2: Because he, uh, well, he had a post that he. uh, This is back in 2015, but he, their church has been going for about 10 years now. Uh, He went as a church plant straight out of uh, IBC, I believe, but he said. He said, Around the fifth year of our church plant, we had our first breakthrough. Then it seemed everything fell through. One by one, new folks that came began to leave. First because of the biblical stance of baptism, then because of the biblical stance on the Holy Ghost. Then another group left over the oneness of God. Lastly, the remnant left over principles of holiness. That last group, before they left, spoke sharply against my wife and I and said, This church will never grow because of what we believe. He says, I always tried to stay strong in front of my wife, but I could not hold it back. The tears poured. I laid on the floor weeping. I possibly had a mental breakdown. He says, All I could say was, God, I'm trying. God, I'm trying. Then I left the Lord to speak to me. He says, Then I felt the Lord speak to me. Now I can trust you with revival. He says, It's been a rough road, but we are seeing revival birthed. Whatever mile marker you are at, stand for the truth. God is looking for someone He can trust with the harvest, with the revival. Um, you know, it, and that's uh, you know, He was on the brink of nervous breakdown, he, and He feels like He even was there.
1: Yeah, they they they've gone through a tough time over there, and now I think after after the seventh year, they began to see a breakthrough really come forth. And now they are just in revival They've actually purchased a new building And they are in that new building now yeah. and, 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 and that is a true testament of Staying true to the calling of God And do not compare yourself with anybody else And, and they are in North or South Dakota Where there is nothing Nothing, you know what I mean and, uh, and that's what it is, man. If you want to be successful, do what God has called you to do. And uh, leave the rest in the hands of God, I believe.
0: Well, we've talked quite a bit about feedback in this episode. So those of you that haven't given us feedback yet would like to participate and get on board. and You've been inspired. There's something you want to share with us. You can see the show notes and comment on them at com slash 7. Otherwise, you can contact us and comment on our page at Facebook.com/behind the pulpit Podcast, or you can email us at contact at behindthepulpitpodcast.com. And until next time, remember, you matter to the kingdom of God.
1: Amen Behind the
0: pulpit Podcast.